morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us that get us thinking, get us talking, get us imagining, get us wondering, get us maybe sometimes even laughing, uh, but most importantly, perhaps inspired to do a bit more because we've made the connection. Our topic today is a big one. We're going to look at truth, how our world and especially how our country is dealing with truth. There's a lot of folks out there that have bought into a false narrative, and it's a little scary. But we also have the truth showing up in other places where it's not completely truthful. Plagiarism is on the rise, and what is it with this AI, and is that truthful? Can we use AI? I've got some great people that are going to be able to help share and help us understand more about that. Rick Bernardo, who's also an ethics professor, is going to be with us as my co-host, uh, as usual. And he has brought a guest to join with us, uh, one of his favorite guests that he likes to bring to the show. And I will let you introduce Gina Barreca, even though I've just said her name, uh, to our show today. Yeah, we've got Gina Barreca. This is our third, I, I believe, uh, uh, session and coffee talk kind of conversation with Gina Barreca, who is a University of Connecticut professor that I first came across when I saw – I don't know what the context was, Gina, but I saw a review of the book, one of your earlier books. Uh, they used to call me Snow White, but I drifted. And I thought, whoever has that title of a book, I got to meet her someday. And I was doing comedy and writing at the same point. Uh, and but Gina has worked uh, – Gina Barreca has worked in the fields of academia, uh, feminism, humor, how that could be a tool for better or worse. And uh, she's an author. Her recent book uh, is a, is the latest in the series of Fast Women. Uh, it's called the Fast Women Books. Uh, her, this uh, last one is called Fast Fallen Women uh, and it just came out in 2023, which is a, a series of a very, very brief uh, compendium of uh, amazing works. Of uh, So anyway – Good morning, and you can get Gina. that on Amazon, right? Yes, Gina? everywhere. You can get it everywhere at your local independent bookstore, but yes, on Amazon. And if you get it on Amazon, please, for God's sake, write a review. Yeah, and, 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 <laughs> and for and for for um, information, Gina Bareka, B A R R E C A is the last name. Gina Bareka dot com. That's a great resource to go to. Fast fallen women. That's it. That's that's. Look, you have to be fast. You have to be fast on your feet these days. Things are changing very quickly, even what we consider the truth. Yeah. Suggest. Yeah. So tell me about plagiarism. We've we've been <laughs> seeing it in the news over the mm -hmm. last few months. It's out there, and it's complicated. But I know you deal with it as a professor. What are some of the challenges that you've been facing, and what you've been talking with your colleagues about? Uh, it, it really has um, emerged as it's like um, the kraken from under the water. It's this thing that's like this monster that's always been there. I mean, people have 
taken other people's work and passed it off as their own since like the first guy drew something on a cave wall in France and then another guy went to the next cave. It's like, I have a great idea. Let's Wait a minute, that's my horse. That's my horse. <laughs> so I, the Lasco Cave. I, exactly. so I think that this has been around since ideas have been around and part of our issue uh, with uh, taking other people's work or passing it off as our own is that that is the center of community and communication and connection and civilization or a- any kind of tribal thing is that you listen to what somebody says and then you integrate it into yourself. And imitation is the greatest form of flattery, right? Except that your imitation needs to be cited carefully. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chicago or MLA style. You, if you are this is the question about AI and, and again, the processing of um, where information becomes knowledge. I think that's where plagiarism, that, that's like one of the interesting back and forths about plagiarism. Because um, I was once accused, uh, I had a conversation, not directly accused of plagiarism, but in graduate school where I had a teacher, I was taking a course on John Milton because I'm that old. And um, so, I mean, I didn't know Milton personally. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not that old. But um, this professor in graduate school, this was, um, I had gone to Dartmouth as an undergraduate. I was one of the first women to be admitted to what had been this all-male school. Then I went to Cambridge University for a graduate degree and a fellowship. And then I came and did my PhD on 42nd Street at the City University of New York Graduate Center. And my family always said I'd end up on 42nd Street. So there I was. <laughs> uh, and um, it's just in a slightly different capacity and making less money. And um, and a professor that I had for this Milton course, I remember the first essay that I wrote said, you're making these claims about Milton and you're not citing them. And I said, well, actually, I've, I've studied Milton because he was a foundational writer that they used at Dartmouth. And um, and then I studied him again in England. And so I had encountered Milton in several iterations before. It was not my first time in, you know, in, in uh, Eaton. It wasn't your first rodeo with Milton. It was, not my, it was not my first rodeo with Milton. It was not the time that I, you know, I had fallen as a fallen woman. I had fallen many times with Eve. You know, where, you know, she for he for God and she for God through him with, you know, Adam. And I I had this conversation with this guy's like this, I know this. You want to have a conversation about Milton? You want to have a conversation about Eve? Do you wanna I can quote you directly from whole passages? I know this stuff. This is actually this is like luggage that I've packed for myself that I carry with me inside. So I can unpack it and show you how it's tailored just to fit me. This is the stuff I know. When I'm quoting scholars on Milton, I quote them. But I actually know this stuff. So was it be- was it because you were so knowledgeable he had to believe that you were taking it from someplace? Well, this is, it wasn't even knowledgeable, but I think that a lot of the other students had not had, you know, mm-hmm. as much interaction with Milton as I had had, which was sort of, you know, I mean, I I had had this little corner of knowledge, but it became mine, uh-huh. you know, and he was, again, not directly accusing me. He finally, we settled it and I took another course with him and he's somebody that I respect, but he was really checking up. And I think that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. And I do that with my students. I mean, as uncomfortable that was for me, 
finally through the conversation, he realized that I actually knew what I was talking about, that it wasn't stuff that I was borrowing and putting back on the shelf as soon as I stole what I needed from it. It wasn't like I was taking one card from a pack and slipping it in like a cheat at a poker game. Right. Right. Um, but so there was when no I, ace coming out. Exactly. I had nothing <laughs> up my sleeves. Presto. Nothing like Bugs Bunny or whatever you Donald Duck. I got nothing up my sleeves. And um, so when I have questions about my students' work, which doesn't happen that often, we could talk about why, is the ways that I try to ensure that that doesn't happen. I say, come on, we'll have a conversation about this. You have to tell me what you were writing about in your paper, where you got those ideas, how you thought of this, you know, how did you bounce into this arena from what we were talking about in class? And if they can have a good conversation about it, that's great. But if they are using the word montage in the first paragraph and I say, well, explain to me your use of montage here, because, you know, it's sort of an interesting word. And they blankly, and I say, do you know what montage means? <laughs> and they're like, I, well, isn't it sort of like you know, like a coffee? I, I was having a montage, you know, with at cinnamon. And I'm like, no, okay, then you are you are out of my class. Yeah. Or you failed my class, depending on the point. But yeah. you, you have, it has to be your stuff that you know well. And you can't, and this is where we get to the politics, I think, you can't prop it up with false claims uh-huh. that are not true. I mean, you can't. You can't pretend to know montage if you don't know montage. So it's, it's right. either, you know, you bring your own stuff to the table and those are the ingredients you work with. And again, if those are stolen, shoplifted, borrowed without acknowledgement, then they're not yours. And you Has can't. There- Has there been a shift over the last, let's just say, 20 years in how people feel about shoplifting, let's say, (laughs) of uh, feeling like there's a gray area that it's okay and and why is everyone getting upset? Um, has Has that increased? And what needs to happen to have us go, no, this is important? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it has increased. And I've been teaching at UConn since 1987. So, I mean, since the earth's crust cooled, you know, this is like my third generation of students. I have grandchildren of people I taught, which is very scary. Personally. <laughs> but it's, you know, I'm God willing, I'm going to turn 66, you know, like soon. And it's like, I've been, I'm, I don't plan to retire. I may say something that forces them to make me leave. But <laughs> I'm planning to retire anyway. But with, the ubiquity of um, online resources. If, you know, if I, I make my students use, and I do, I force them to, um, to use paper textbooks and write handwritten notes in class. There were no electronic devices, no Apple watches, nothing in my classrooms. They have to mark up the books and they can use the cheapest editions. They can get them, you know, for 99 cents at a, you know, a used bookstore. They can get them on eBay for $2. You know, they can get whatever, but they have to have the paper text. They are not online. Wow. And I said, you want to, you know, have an ebook that you carry with you. You listen to an audio book. That's all fine. But in this classroom, I teach two and a half hour seminars, you have the book in front of you and you are finding the passage on a page that you're using to back up what you're saying. Now, if somebody goes to look up, so I'm teaching a popular literature course and the first book um, is uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Anita Luce. 
right? And Elouse sold out, I think they printed 19,000 copies and it was sold out in a week in New York when it was first published. And I happened to do the uh, introduction to the Penguin edition of that, but I don't get a commission. They can get any edition that they want. And, um, but the first thing that comes up, first of all, it's the movie. And so I explained to them that, you know, the movies have nothing to do with the books. And, but then the first thing that comes up are the summaries, the spark notes, schmoop, the equivalent of the cliff notes and the monarch notes yeah. when I was growing up. And which is basically like porn. You know, it take there's no actual enjoyment insight. I mean, you can't there was an onion article years ago that had, you know, Tammy at University of whatever is weeping over the schmoop um, summary of the fourth chapter in Steinbeck's of my <laughs> men. That one line about Lenny, I just couldn't take it. You know, she said, having read 18 pages of summary. You know, I mean, you don't have any, but no, that's, you don't, you don't build the relationship. You don't build the nuance. You don't build, you know, all of the, you, you can't, live in the book when you're just reading the clip where you can live in the book when you're reading it. But when you're doing the cliff notes, you're, you're kind of like doing a helicopter overview. That's a very nice analogy. That's absolutely right. You can get a map of it, but you don't have the experience of being in it. I think that's a great analogy. And, but it's a disservice to the students. Yeah. Right. That the first things that come up on their screens and they're on their screens all the time. I get many of the students in my classes tell me we go 90 minutes without a break and that they have literally not been separated from an electronic device for 90 minutes before. Some of these are 19 year olds. Are they going through withdrawal at the end? Yeah, no, no, no. They're jonesing. I mean, they really, <laughs> they, they are, I'm sorry, I shouldn't use that. That's, <laughs> okay. that's, a, that's a clinical <laughs> term. I'll get me fired. But they're jon- their phones, you know, it's like 90 minutes and they're screwing them. And, you know, people used to get up to go to the bathroom or like take a walk. All they do now is sit where they are and look at their screens. Yeah. to see what they missed on Instagram. But the first thing that comes up when they look up a book are all these summaries. It's not yeah. even information about the author or, I mean, anything. So they can, like, say, well, this is what Wikipedia said. This is what, again, Schmoop, Spark Notes, whatever they say. And I said, but the people writing for these are not the great literary minds of the century. You know, somebody who is a scholar, uh, you know, somebody who is really a reader is not selling their soul as far as I know, unless they need money to go to the track. They're not writing (laughs) these summaries. So it's like, why would you believe them? This is somebody you wouldn't ask advice on where to go to lunch. And (laughs) even what they tell you about a great American novel or a great British novel, why would you trust with somebody else says. And, and what is their reaction? And, and we're going to have to go to break. Yeah. I hate having to go to break, but we will. But what is their reaction when you, you tell them, like, this is like, a, you're, you're cheapening the experience. Yeah. Um, is literally, you're, you're making this cheap right. instead of really having the, the wonder and the glory of digging in and discovering for yourself. Well, this, I think, will lead us to our next segment because we're talking about sort of knowledge and truth as currency. And I'm telling them that the currency they're using, if they're getting secondhand goods, is bankrupt. Yeah. It's it's like false currency. They're trying to pass a bill they just made in their, you know, 20 that they made in their basement, as opposed to using money that's actually in circulation and recognized by other people. I would and just gaining gaining a resource of their own. I mean, they, they gain their own gold when when they can uh you know, 
dig I, in. I would and not say just take the cheap stuff. Go where ahead, Rick. I would say where, where what we're trying to set as a foundation is how do we know what we know? How do we that, know what we know is really something we know? And and if you can't do that, you got nothing. So yeah. we'll, we'll we'll probably we'll take a break here and we'll come back and talk about that. I've got my own experiences. So I want to chime in with. I'll, right. I'll make sure I'll bring you in, Rick. We're, Gina Barreca. We'll break now, and we'll be right back and and talk more about plagiarism and truth and and truth and and better ways of knowing exactly. and how we can advocate for that. All right, GinaBarreca.com is the website to go to. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. We've got truth being discussed and all its kind of odd iterations. What about plagiarism? What about AI? What about a lot of people believing falsehood? How do we advocate for truth and what it can provide for us and why it's important? We have terrific people that are guiding this conversation today. Uh, our friend Rick uh, is going to continue to be our great co-host. And Gina Bareka is our guest today. Rick, tell us a little bit more about. I feel like I'm doing I'm, a, a game I'm, show. Rick, tell us a little bit more about Rick, Gina. Rick, yeah, Ricky Ricardo. It's Rick Bernardo. Rick Bernardo. And, yeah, Rick, I mean, Rick, Rick Gina Barreca. I'm still Rick, and but what Gina Barreca is that last name is spelled B A R R E C A Barreca, and uh, the reason I mention that is it's easier to type in the website that way. Gina Barreca dot com. Uh, and anyway, author, humorist, writer, scholar, and. Um, Fun person to talk to, uh, and uh, author of the most recent book is Fast Following Women. Anyway, academia, truth. Um, I've got so many, not only in my, uh, uh, just like 10 to 12 years, it's all a blur at St. Mary's University teaching, started teaching cyber tech ethics courses and then moved into organizational leadership and mainly managerial ethics where I'm working in graduate courses with leaders in healthcare, uh, financial sectors, uh, social work, all kinds of, and uh, oh, even police officers. How do they manage the ethics on the job? And this, um, and I would say thirty to forty percent of the people in the courses. How can I put this uh, accurately? They they had had no way to practice avoiding plagiarism. That's the way to put that. Um, and in my experience, so once you see a word like Gina in our previous seg- segment mentioned the word montage, and if, if that's not an, or- an ordinary word you think they would use, it's really easy. If I saw a sentence or a paragraph that just looked like it was lifted from another planet uh, – I could just type it in on the web and I go, oh, there it is in this other book. <laughs> like, there it is. It's easy to find. And I would explain to the students, if you can copy a paste and paste, guess what? Anybody else can do that too and find it. And so just credit it. That's what this course is, is showing other people your benchmark as an academic scholar is going to be how do you show other people that you know what you know? And how you know it. That's it. And if you can't do that, then we're failing you. Uh, 
So that's the positive way to put it. So um, anyway, uh, but 30 to 40 percent of the students not knowing how to avoid that is kind of like a callback to the old Woody Allen joke when he got tossed out of New York University um, in his medic. For cheating on his metaphysics exam by looking into the soul within the boy next to him. Uh, it's kind of that bad, uh, that sad uh, in terms of truth or not truth. Uh, so plagiarism, um, it's – a lot of the students also in my classes were from overseas. There are different cultural traditions where it's OK and a tribute to lift from other people in those contexts but – I would explain, look, in this context, and you're in work sectors where if you use the slogan from Coca-Cola about a, a soda product, they're going to come after you. If you do, if you put that out on your company website and it's really from the corporation, they're going to come after you. That's, that's one of the consequences we're risking as well as failure in the course. I think that the points that Rick raises are important because the students don't know what the boundaries are. They don't know where what uh, the idea that they got from reading something um, is is actually sort of private property. It's like the difference between, you know, if you find a wallet on the street, um, but if it has like all the identification in it, you're sort of obliged to return the wallet. Right. I mean, you know where it comes from. It's not like finding, again, going back to the currency idea, a random 20 that doesn't have somebody's name on it. But <laughs> the idea of trying to no, Rick, do you disagree or? No, I was uh, I was okay. just uh, assenting because yeah, oh, you okay. need you need my approval, of course. Okay. <laughs> well, I will cite that. And, um, and approved by. Um, but the the concept that. It belongs to somebody else, and you can't pass off as yours what belongs to somebody else. And as Rick said, in different cultures, different boundaries, different ways of, of how the students were trained in their high schools, in their childhoods, in their families, it's like, do you just take an idea that's out there? I've learned, um, again, that some students really don't know, just as Rick suggested. They're not actually... Um, they don't realize that what they're doing is unacceptable. So, you know, it's the violation of the rule. You can't violate the rule if you don't know there's a rule. So it's making that clear. But it's harder and harder, just as, as you asked, Lori, what's happened in the last 20 years, as more and more is available. And as when Rick said in the cyber ethics course, which I thought was really interesting, that again, if they can go type in, something we can go type in something so there are there are uh, all kinds of um uh, uh websites in place where you can enter your students work to see if they have lifted or like you said you just put a phrase in you, google you just type in three or four words on google you, you find it after time right. Right. when you and i were in school gina you know we had to go to the library and yeah. we had to actually you know do the dewey decimal system and you know pull out what we wanted to do in research and research is so different now, being mm -hmm. able to have a vast library, you know, in your smartphone. Right. You know, and I think that must have some positive in that, you know, we were exposed to a lot more information, can have access from a lot more information. But determining uh, truth in that access to information, I have to believe, is even more difficult now. And it's just a, much information coming at us. Just to pull out a larger context even is I even bring up in, in my first two classes uh, is writing a, a sign of intelligence, is being able to write English any measure of intellect. 
And it's like, it, of course it's not. There's brilliant right. people who can't write, let alone speak English and on and on and on. Why, so I had to ask myself and I bring this up. So why do we make this important? Any of these rules about writing? Why, why are we, why does that matter even in this course? Your ability to write, let alone attribute how you know what you know. Why, why is that? And they're really stumped for a while. That's really a bedrock question. And I basically come, I, best I can come up with is we want you to have a voice in this world. And unless you can do it, you're not going to be able to get in the door in many of these places unless you can write, unless you can show why you're an expert on and on and on. Uh, it's it's really we want you to have a voice and that's a lot of what we're doing here at the Institution of Education. What, that's a great way of putting it because it is the only way to develop your own voice is not to be a ventriloquist. Right? <laughs> yeah. it's, right? it's not like you just can't put your hand inside a puppet that's there and say, no, no, I'm talking. That's that? me. You know, and, and, and there's, it's, there's something important about claiming your opinion. Mm-hmm. That oh, and is I, your voice. And I didn't bring it. It's a claiming process that that is a brave and has courage. It says, I've listened to this. I've listened to that. And now this is what I believe. And without that, I believe, and that voice out there, uh, we just keep hearing the same, you know, echoes. And and I didn't paint this picture before. It's almost like you're the conductor of the orchestra, the entire thing. You can be the conductor. You can say, you know, point to this section, point to that section, point to this section, attribute. But you can't pretend you played the whole trumpet section by yourself. That's going to look silly eventually. <laughs> Right, especially to even if you're try on the drums. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Simultaneously. But again, going back to the idea that it is remember and I, I was terrible at math. I failed math courses. I was a, a huge public high school in Long Island, Oceanside High School. There were like nine hundred kids in my graduating class. And I was in like the fancy classes for English and history, and I was in the vocational classes for math. I was sitting next to girls who did their nails. Going, I don't understand. I didn't either. I just didn't have. I just didn't have the lack of shame to do my nails. I sort of wish I did now. But they were like, I don't understand. And in math, I remember they would always say there was a phrase that I think of as only in math classes you had to show your work. Yes. And basically, that's what we're saying in terms of the creation of an argument. It's like, okay, just as Laurie said, here's your voice. Here's your opinion. But show your work. This is what Thomas Paine said. This is (laughs) what, you know, uh, Kamala Harris said. This is what... I don't know. I don't want to mention it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, This is what so-and-so said. But you're showing that you did your work. It's not... You can't have an opinion that's just a reaction. Um, a reaction is like, I like mashed potatoes. I don't like mashed potatoes. But, but with that, with that, I'm going to take a pause, but I want us to think about, but there's something that is exciting about getting angry and about getting emotional that can drive our desire to know something some people actually double down even in the face of truth because it feels better to have the alternative. And I want to talk about that in our next segment. So with that, stay with us. Our, our search for truth continues, but we'll just need to take a, a short break for commercials.
Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and we've got Rick Bernardo, my co-host, and we have Gina Barreca today. And I'd like to have our friend Rick share a little bit more about Gina and uh, share about what we've been talking about if you've just joined us. Yeah, Gina Barreca, uh, B-A-R-R-E-C-A is the last name. GinaBarreca.com is the website to go to. Uh, recent author or ongoing author of the Fast Women series of books. The most recent one is Fast Fallen Women. So go to our website. But also we're talking about truth and plagiarism and different levels of that today. And uh, I will never forget, before we uh, listen a little more to Gina, uh, I was writing a high school paper on the nature, you know, in high school, it's like the nature of humanity, you know, just to narrow it down. And there was this little paper and I loved anthropology. I start, I had my grandmother had given me these books about primates and humans. And so by the end of the Paper I wrote uh, are you know are humans uh, in essentially and inherently good or bad, uh, uh, good or evil, and I said I'm not sure I really want to know the answer, and <laughs> and it was honest, but my teacher very kindly wrote on my paper, you know some kind nice comments, but he also wrote something I'll never forget. He said the person of this was a Catholic school by the way. He said the person of faith. Person of real faith never really has to be afraid of the truth. Yeah. And I, that's got so many levels, if, ands, ors, or buts. But um, one thing about truth is just the essential aspect of it's a, it's a, when we use language, we're trying to create a map of reality. Of you know, we, I say the word chair. It's not a chair. It's the word chair. But we don't know what it's talking about. All right. So that's how language representational works. Uh, if we don't have truth in there, if we don't have accuracy, uh, we don't know what's real or not. And you can't get anything done if your maps are all wrong. And we do have a challenge with maps not matching right now in our world uh, and what our reality is. We've got folks that are doubling down uh, with a falsehood that uh, the election uh, was rigged, which it was not, no matter how many times the court says, no, it wasn't rigged. It was a great election and we're very proud of it. And yet there's a desire and a need to somehow feel, you know, fuel our emotional uh, that comes from feeling like it's a team sport. Right versus coming together with truth. So, so help me with that, Gina. Well, I think that what, what we're getting at here is, is the nature of people being aware or at least being in conversation about as we are today, whether truth is something that is out there. Remember the X-Files opening, you know, it's out there. Is it something that's out there or is it something that we construct and create? In a way to go back to Rick, do we do that culturally, socially? You know, what counts as the truth? So people will, what we're doing now um, is where we have data, we have statistics, you know, we've got numbers, we've got polls, we have, you know, uh, as we said, court documents. But depending on which you cherry pick, um, you're going to say, no, this is the truth. Here's, here is the way, if you look at these statistics, it tells you this. If you look at these statistics, but again, like you're saying, it's like a GPS and it's like GPS is that we can't trust. You know, it's telling us we're going to land. Let's, you know, our destination is to make 
you know, <laughs> our country and the world as 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 terrific as it can be, and to try to undo some of the bad that's happened while working toward progress to see that the future is better, and that we're we're coming up with entirely two d- different routes to get there. Those are increasingly apart in this country. It's, it seems to me that there once upon a time, we did think considering your sources was really important mm-hmm. and, and sources had a strength and a dignity to them with so many sources and people citing them with, uh, you know, great passion because they've read it or they've seen it on the internet um, is disheartening. Uh, I feel like there should be a wave of understanding how to be critical of sources needs to be discussed more. I think that that's right. And it also needs to be that, just as you're saying, it's sort of like, you know, it's the very word authority. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're an authority on something, not because you believe it strongly, but because you understand it and have considered it and have considered it from various perspectives and have come up with um, your own actual knowledge, not just I'm the authority on this because I am more angry about it than anything else. You know, so this is my authority. My authority is that I know I'm right. That goes back to what we learned, you know, in first year philosophy. That's a tautological argument. It can't be, it feels right, therefore it is right. You know, that's <laughs> the whole, if it feels so good, it can't be wrong of yeah. every song. And Which it, is a nice song, but... <laughs> it ain't true. I've been in those relationships. I mean, <laughs> unhealthy, unhealthy. Some of them are really wrong. They were just like, yes, it felt good. And, you know, this is, but this is not, in fact, where you want to be spending your life and your time and your intellectual and emotional investments. This is, you have to do it yourself. And the idea, Lori, when you said we have to go to the library, uh-huh. and, I mean, it used to be that you could look up some piece of obscure interpretation or whatever and steal it and nobody would notice because it was a much more private, gated world to get into those libraries and to look at that. And now people do have access to all kinds of information. But then, as you said, how do we help us ourselves to right. know who's saying what and how much we should trust them because truth and trust have to go together. It's not just, I feel this. So it's true. That's not the world that we're talking. About. But we have two different megaphones. It feels like, um, and a, a megaphone say, that, that says one thing that are drawing people and a megaphone that draws another that says another, you know? So I, I look at, things that seem to me to be blatant falsehoods uh, about what was said and what was done that we've actually saw watching January 6th. We, we, we saw these things take place, but we're getting somehow told, no, that didn't happen. It was, it was, it was not that way. I mean, we, you and I had talked or you had sent some notes earlier about how the world's kind of getting crazy and just like kind of the fifties and sixties when, you know, we had Soylent Green and, and we had all these fears and we had all these conspiracies. And this was also, you know, just also during the time with McCarthyism, with all of the great conspiracies. Are we just in a place where there's so much fear that having a simple truth or what is perceived as a simple truth is an easier thing to hang on to than the complications of what what we need to face when we're looking at truth? I a great question. I think that... Um... The, the truth usually 
comes down to something fairly simple that, you know, it's complicated to get there. But I think it's going back to the man of faith, you know, never has to fear the truth. The person with integrity never has to. If there's nothing, I got no secrets. You know, somebody says we're going to, you know, put up, you know, pictures of you when you were 19. It's like, go ahead. I look terrific. Only look, put them up, you know, I'll put them on the website. It's like, I have, like, there's nothing you can't say. Well, if we, if we look at this, we'll see where you're flawed. It's like, okay, I might be flawed, but I'm not, <laughs> um, I'm not, you know, I'm not faking something. It's like mm-hmm. for all my limitations, it's like, I'll look at them with you. One, right? one Fear discovery. One set of complicating factors in today's world is the uh, failure of the fourth estate in the sense uh, of our country where the table's falling over. <laughs> it only has three legs now, uh, if that, because there's a lot of money behind pure propaganda that I call we call them media bulldozers. They just want, are paving over what I got the video. It doesn't matter. We're not going to show that. We're going to show this. Uh, so that uh, and between that, isn't between isn't that and the silos that people live in, it's a big problem. Yeah, isn't it just recently that we were able to say that you know Trump lied? Wasn't that? Did it, I, I, yeah. I just read a, a recent column by Maureen Dowd where she said that the New York Times had prevented her from calling Dick Cheney a liar, but now no longer you know the the paper of record no longer has anyone hesitate when they say Donald Trump lied about this. Donald Trump is a liar. Oh jeez. And but again, if it's the common currency, if people are using this, uh, you know, if people are using this as a way that they're negotiating their lives. And so they see what makes me nervous because we do want critical interpretations. We want people to bring their own perspectives. But you can't say, well, here's an insurrection. And then people go, well, that's just your opinion. They go, actually, no, 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 excuse me. (laughs) This is a series of facts. It's not an interpretation of those facts. Here are the facts. And so it's not as if everything can be made into something else if you just, as as Rick said, the media bulldozers or by saying, don't, like in The Wizard of Oz, don't look at the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You have to pull the curtains back. You have to see who's pulling the levers. You have to realize that there's somebody in power. It's the Kibono. Who's who's profiting? Who's profiting? Who's profiting? And why do you... Why do you have to? That's the ethical question. Why? I would point to two things. One is has to do with integrity. What, do you want to be a person who has moral power? Number two, do you want the consequences to be crap all over the places or not? You know? Yeah, I think that's right. And with that, I'm going to have to pull us back. We're going to only have like a three or four minutes for our, our last segment, but we will come back after just a short uh, break with uh, some great commercials to support this wonderful station in our show. Uh, But we'll be right back and, and top it off with some closing thoughts on truth. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we've been having a wonderful conversation and looking at truth looking at plagiarism, looking at the challenges that we face today and trying to sort out how to get to the right sources and how do we make some bridges to folks that 
may not be on the same page with us with truth. Uh, and with me today is Rick Bernardo, my co-host, and he has invited Gina Barreca, and he'll tell us a little bit about Gina. Gina Barreca, B-A-R-R-E-C-A is the last name, GinaBarreca.com. Go to that website because we have her, her here today as a longtime author, University of Connecticut professor, uh, expert, I would say, in a number of fields from academia to feminism to humor, which is by nature fun. Uh, and her recent book is Fast Fallen Women uh, on Woodhall Press, but go to her website to find out more. And we're talking uh, about the nature of truth and falsehood today with her. And I got to say, um, you know, I think it all comes down to well, why should we care about this? I would ask people to talk, uh, think and talk about the the nature of real power. Is power just controlling people and making profits or is there a deeper kind of power that every wisdom tradition has ever talked about that has to do with moral integrity and the kind of thing that when people see, they go, I want that. I want to be that. That's a real kind of spiritual moral power. But Gina, we've been talking about this the whole program. Uh, what do you think? I think that um, actually what you said is right, that it is power uh, because – as we've been saying, it's foundational, it's bedrock, it's solid. Um, it can withstand pressure from the outside. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't cave. It's not something that's made of cardboard. But also, I mean, power can often make smart people do stupid things. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about power. And especially power that, um, that makes us feel as if we're in an inner circle or we know secrets or that we have the true interpretation. And that's different. When you talked about, Lori, you know, the, what are the ways we can talk about truth and, and, and bring truth into our lives? It's like we have to get back to the civility of argument and listening to each other, even when we disagree, respectfully. And so that realizing that if you get into an argument or a discussion with somebody, let's just call it a discussion, not even an argument, but you disagree with somebody, but that even if you go away from that feeling as if you, you haven't come to the same conclusion, you haven't made a mistake. You've made a beginning. That's right. the start of the important conversation. I mean, Rick used the word siloed before. We are, we are so now just getting information from our own sides. We forget to listen. We choose our own sources without giving due respect to the other side because we've lost respect for anything that that um, sort of undermines our own belief system. And we have to do better than that. Life is too interesting just yeah. to be inside our own echoes in our own head. We all have to get <laughs> out and see what the other sources are. Absolutely. And, you know, in an argument, you can end up being very hurtful and, and making these big blanket statements that make you maybe perhaps feel good in the moment. I mean, I've been in, in conversations that turn into arguments where – it, it turns into shame and blame and, yeah. and, and you want to get away from that. You want to keep honoring that each person has a point of view without trying to make the other person feel stupid. Uh, it, it's, it, it's civility. I loved how you put that. It, it's how do we find our way back and uh, I, I to think civil that, conversation? That the truth can be at the heart of civil conversation because you start with what we can all agree on. And focus on that. And then, you know, and that's, again, uh, as with Rick, I know that he, just, both of you understand, that that's where humor comes in. Yeah. Because humor lets the light in. Humor is, is about illumination. 
Uh, yeah. It illustrates our points. And so humor can bring us together. And for that moment when you're laughing with someone, you're agreeing with them. Or at least you're you connected. You are connected. Well, with that, it's a perfect uh, place to end our show. Uh, truth leading us to laughter uh, to allow us to become more enlightened with each other and more civil and uh, more connected and more an us and less of a us and them. So thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Rick. Great show today. Enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to our next conversation, Gina and Rick. Thank you. Bye.